realize that, and, and uh, Thanksgiving is a wonderful holiday, and of course, you know, Walmart and the like, they push Christmas earlier and earlier before Thanksgiving, but, you know, Thanksgiving is over, and it's time now to think about Christmas. And in fact, Christmas Eve is just four weeks and one day away from today. Um, and there are a lot of emotions this time of year, aren't there? I mean, there's, there's thoughts of all... I read, a, I read a report this morning that was talking about this study of 2,000 Americans and all of the stress and everything, and Chris, they call it Christmas burnout. You know, people are often, well, at least a high percentage of these 2,000 people are burnt out before Christmas Day even gets here. You know, all of the planning and the decorating, and they talk about all the time that people spend, and I think, yeah, we do. We do spend time doing all of that, but it's not meaningless time. You know, we, we, we should be focusing on our Savior Jesus Christ as we are engaged in this activity, in, in the decorating, in the, the, the listening to the Christmas songs that we do and the singing of them and thinking about the snow and wishing there was more, you know, all of things like that. Um, one thing the snow has done, though, hasn't it, is it sort of if it were 80 degrees or 70 or 60 degrees outside, today would, would even seem worse, like we're celebrating Christmas way too early. I mean, I just put my fishing boat in the garage. Why are we um, talking about Christmas? But, uh, you know, there, so there's this anxiety, there's this, this hurriedness that can come. And, and for some, you know, family time actually translates into loneliness. They're, this is one of the times of the year where they feel the most lonely because it's supposed to be about this, this you know, peace, honor, sentiment, but they're not feeling that in their heart and in their life. Uh, you know, and then you throw in the unrest from around the world, and uh, this, we, we can have this feeling of trepidation and... Uh, you know, Israel is having trouble with their neighbors. Of course, what's new about that, really? Um, countries are going bankrupt. Countries are at war. I mean, we have men and women in uniform all over the world right now in harm's way. Um, wouldn't it be nice if, if we had some confidence in the things in our lives? I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we had confidence for the future? Now, I, I hope you know the answer to that question, and I hope the answer that you come up with is, it would be nice, and yes, we can, because that's what we're going to find in the midst of this series. Uh, that's what we're tackling. We're calling it a stable influence. And, and there's really two meanings to this series title. The, uh, the first one is this, and we'll be, we look, we'll be looking at both of them throughout the series, but the first one is this. Um, it was a real event in history that affected many real people in, in a rural part of the world, um, the rural communities in which it transpired, shepherds, farmers, housewife, housewives, businessmen, and women, uh, real people just like us. And it's likely that it occurred in, in a stable. You know, this is, this is what we're depicting, the stable. Now, the Bible doesn't say the word stable, um, but the Bible uses the word manger, and where else would you find a, where would we find a manger but in a stable or in a barn? Now, there are other options that have been presented, but first let me read you. Um, the angel told the shepherds this, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. That's Luke chapter 2. And... Um, you know, 
I mean, I suppose mangers could be found in other places. In fact, in the Middle East, uh, a lot of um, you know, Jer- uh, families in Jerusalem, the, the stable or the place where they kept their animals was actually a part of their house. And they would put them in this area in, in their house. If you look at Middle Eastern homes in that day, uh, the stable could have been in their house. It could have been in front of their house. I've seen it depicted as in a cave sometimes. They would have a cave where they would keep their animals. Um, those are likely places as well. Um, but, you know, for our uh, Christmas season this year, um, we are depicting an actual stable. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, well, we know there were probably animals around at the time. Um, so in that sense, it's an influence that came through a stable. Now, the other side of that uh, is this. You know, there are, there are so many things in our lives that are unstable, we just don't know what's happening next week or, or even today when it comes to our health or, or a friend's health or our job. You know, some are, are, you know, their jobs are on the line. We have a factory that's closing. We've got the railroad that's, that's shutting down um, repair shops and, and they're displacing some families. There's this instability. But I want us to think about the fact that God and, and Jesus Christ as he came down is a stable influence. And, and, and that's a sureness of influence. Uh, God coming to the world as a man is a sure influence. Stable as in anchored, balanced, deep-rooted, enduring, permanent, durable, established, firm, uh, immutable, invariable, lasting, permanent, reliable, safe, secure, set, solid, tough, unalterable, unchangeable, unfluctuating, unwavering, well-built, well-founded, a stable influence. And we see that stable influence in the Word of God. You know, there are so many things, again, in our lives that are not stable. They change, they fall apart, they're confusing, they're shallow, or, or they're soft and wavering. But as we talk about this stable influence, we are talking about uh, a God who we can put and base our lives on that is rock solid. It will not budge. It will not change. You know, he was, God was there, and I, I saw, um, shoot, I don't, it flashed in my head and then it went away. Let me, let, let me, let's, let's think about it this, this way. Um, do you know who these two guys are up here? Yeah, right? Marty and Doc Brown. Marty McFly and Doc Brown. And you probably recognize this car too. I always wanted one of those. Because of the movie. I always wanted a Mini Cooper too because of the movie The Italian Job. Well, you can see which car was the most readily available, right? Um, So here's the thing. In in Back to the Future Part 2, Marty and, and Doc have to go really, they end up going back in the past because of something that happened in the future. Uh, Biff, sort of his arch-nemesis, if you will, he was a, a, an, another classmate that was kind of mean to Marty McFly in the, the series of, of Back to the Future. Biff finds this book 
in the future, um, it's, it's a sports almanac. has all of the sports history from the previous 50 years. Scores, you know, who won World Series, all of that. And Biff finds out that these guys have a time machine. And what he does is he takes that almanac, he goes back in time to before all of those games happened, and guess what? He was a prophet. He knew every game that was going to happen, and he knew the score of that game before it happened. Of course, in the movie, he changed history, and then, and then you know, they see the future, and it's not as it was, and they have to fix it and all of that. But, but wouldn't it be great if we had that kind of information? If we knew uh, ahead of time things that were going to happen? Well, we do. We do know. Um, look at Luke chapter 2, 30 and 33. I'm going to read those. Um, it says this, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And we know that it happened just as the angel said it would happen because we have it written down in history books. It was observed. It happened just as the angel said it would. Elizabeth gave birth to John the Baptist, which was a miracle. And then Mary gave birth to Jesus, which was another miracle, being a virgin. And, and we have the fulfillment of many prophecies, in fact, that were foretold about Jesus. There are over 300 prophecies in the Bible about Jesus, the Messiah. And up to a thousand years before he was born, those prophecies were written down. And over a thousand-year period, 300 prophecies said things like this. This is where Jesus will be born. This is where he'll be born. This is when he'll be born. This is how he'll be born. Now, some would say, well, he made all of those things happen, right? Who are in this room or listening or watching online decided you were going to be born in the hospital or the town that you were born in, right? We don't get to make those kinds of decisions. Um, that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We don't, um, you can't control if you're, if you're going to be the Messiah or not. That is just the way reality happens. Um, in fact, we were told how he would die and the manner in which he would die and what he would die from. Over 300 prophecies, all fulfilled. All fulfilled. I mean, what are the odds of me making 300 predictions about you and them all coming true? Right? I mean, think about that. We would like to make predictions for our children, right? What if... Is that even possible? We could guess. We could throw a bunch of things out there, but, but they wouldn't happen. Um, a thousand years before Jesus came and died on the cross, David, in one of his psalms, described what death by crucifixion was like. Now, crucifixion didn't exist yet at this point, which is why David doesn't use the term crucifixion. He describes the experience. He prophesies that this is how the king of kings is going to die, but he doesn't know what to call it yet because it hasn't been invented yet. The word of the Lord came to him, and 
He wrote about it in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Peter describes, uh, he describes prophecy, and this is what he says, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. In other words, guys didn't sit around in a room one day and write up all of this stuff in these, in these books and these letters and, and say, this is it, this is what's going to happen. And uh, that, that didn't happen. But prophets, Peter writes, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You know how to tell a prophet? He's right. He's right 100% of the time. That's how you tell a prophet. You have somebody that comes to you and claims to be a prophet, there's a test of time. There's a test of what they say. We've had lots of those in, in, in the last even just 20 years or even in the last... Even in the last 18 years, there's been a lot of people that claim to be prophets. Howard Camping, Harold Camping actually comes to mind. Uh, Maybe you know some of the prophecies that he came. He he determined that the world was going to end on a particular day. And and he did this by by using math and and using biblical passages. Well, that day came and went, and he, he was like, oh, whoops, I made a mistake. Um, And he reworked the math and figured out a different day. I I think he's living somewhere in South America right now. Probably living on all the money that naive people gave him to support his ministry. Um, You know, years ago, a few years ago, some people thought that the Mayans had secret knowledge as to when the world was going to end, right? There was all kinds of buzz about that as well. So far... And I, I counted these. This is according to Wikipedia, all right? So take that with a little bit of grain of salt. But so far, just in the 21st century, in the last 18 years, there have been 57 predictions of when the world is going to end. 57. Now, about 12 of those are still to come. They're saying like, you know, 2022 and 2057 and, and uh, you know, that sort of thing. But uh, I don't know why... We don't just, when somebody says this is when the the world is going to end, instead of worrying about it and getting all worked up about it, we don't just go to Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Jesus said this, but about that day or hour, he's talking about the end of the world, when, when when he will return, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. God the Father is the only one that knows the day and the time. Nobody else does. Why would we then say, well, it's going to be on September 12th, 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, you know, 2012 or whatever. But the Bible is prophetically accurate. Jesus said this in Matthew 26, 56. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Jesus said it's all coming true just like God said it would. Now again, some people might say, yeah, but, but Jesus read those when he was growing up and he did everything he could to make them happen, just the way that the prophecy said it would happen, right? Think about that. Do, do you think Jesus would be able to convince the Romans to crucify him? I, I mean, really, think about that. This, this is God giving us information so that we can see it occur and trust him and know that It's a stable influence. God's word is a stable influence in our life. Revelation 22.6, John says this, The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy. You can trust them and true. Why? 
because they're from God. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. It's all a very stable influence because it's trustworthy. It's trustworthy. We don't know exact times. We don't know exact days. God didn't see fit to give us those. Because really, what would happen if you, if you had that exact day and time? I mean, we would take advantage of it, right? I mean, we would leverage it somehow to, to our selfish being. Instead of living our life the way God wants us to every day because we don't know when that day is going to be or even when we would take our last breath. So I, open your Bibles this morning. I, I want us all to, to focus on Isaiah. Open your Bibles to the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 8. That's where we are going to start or continue this morning. Isaiah chapter 8. Verses 19 through 22 is what we're going to look at. You see, the Israelites experienced the trustworthiness of God's word, and then there was judgment, and then there was salvation, and then there was restoration, and then it seemed to be a cycle over and over, a, a constant cycle. Judgment, salvation, restoration. Judgment, salvation. Isn't it true for us, too? You know, you come to church on a Sunday morning, and you're convicted by something in your life, and you, you surrender it, you confess it, you repent of it, and, and there's this experience of not salvation as capital S as that one time when, when, when you're saved by Jesus Christ, but there's, there's this kind of renewal of your life, and, and you leave church, and you feel really well, and, and, and you're restored, or a relationship is restored, and, and then over time again, if, if we don't think about it, and we're intentional, intentional about it, it can erode backwards again to where there has to be judgment and repentance again. I mean, we can point to the Israelites and say, well, they were really stupid. They didn't, I mean, they had Jesus Christ and they didn't know what they had. But it's really the same way for all of us. We all live that same experience in life. But here's what uh, the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 8, 19 through 22. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and, looking upward, will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Now, the book of Isaiah was written 750 or 700 to 750 B.C., almost 3,000 years ago. And here, God had Isaiah writing about darkness and gloom. That's point one in your notes. Darkness and gloom. It's a, it's a downer to think about it. It's a downer to talk about it. But we have to remember that that's a possibility in, your, in our lives. Doom and gloom. Doom and gloom. What are you feeling today? Distress? Hunger? Do you feel like you're roaming the land? Um, anger? Looking for someone to blame? These are the results of an unstable world. And, and like the Back to the Future illustration, we often look for some kind of advantage in life when we feel those things. And there are people that look to psychics and spiritists. I mean, this was true back in Isaiah's day. It's true in ours. Horoscopes are a version of this. God says to stay away from those. Having your palms read, God says stay away. 
Calling the psychic hotline. Oh, it's just for entertainment. I just want to check it out. God says stay away from it. God says, why would you try to consult the dead when you can look to him who is alive? We can look to the law and the testimony. It's a stable thing to do, to look to the creator. And if we don't, well, then, then we will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and we'll be thrust into utter darkness. We'll lose hope. And some in this room today know the truth of that verse. I mean, you've personally experienced it. Maybe you're in the midst of it right now. There's just this darkness and this, this gloom in your life. I mean, it's, it's as if people are living their lives blindfolded. They're looking for purposes and answers, but it's like they can't see and they're just fumbling around in the dark. And what generally happens is they, they end up, they make excuses, they justify, and they end up finding their way deeper and darker. The more they try to ignore it, the more lost they get, darkness and gloom. So now, okay, flip forward to Isaiah chapter 9, if that's not on the next page of your Bible. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, look at what it says there. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Here's where the news gets good. It was encouraging to those who first heard it. It was encouraging to Mary and the shepherds and Joseph and Elizabeth and to all who realized that Jesus was the one. That all of those prophecies that had been written about, it's him. He is the one. Isaiah says there will be no more gloom. A light has dawned. No more gloom because in the future God will come. I'm saying I'm coming and I'm coming. He humbled those in the promised land, and in the future, it says in Isaiah, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. I love that phrase right there. Most of us in the room should love that phrase right there, because that's us. If you are not of Jewish descent in this room, it was just, I mean, there was no hope for us. We, we were not the chosen ones. We, we were not the ones that... God, well, we were the ones that God was going to save, but in that process, we were kind of left out. But even in Isaiah, even in Isaiah, there was hope for all of the Gentiles because God said it's happening and it's going to happen to them too. Imagine, uh, do you remember the last time your electricity went out for a period of time? You know, this would be, of course, the worst time of year for our electricity to go out. Um, I, um, I wonder about all of those people after Hurricane Michael when their electricity was out. I mean, um, you know, if you live on a farm, you don't have any, you don't have any water. Uh, you, if, if you're not prepared in advance, you don't have any heat. You don't have any lights. I mean, some people think, yay, camping, right? Do that for several days or weeks or months. I mean, it's just not fun. But imagine that day if you had gone weeks or months without electricity when it finally came on. 
I mean the feeling, the, the such good news. What a feeling when the lights begin to work again. Now imagine the lights coming on for eternity. <laughs> for eternity. Eternal light and hope for the future. That's what Jesus was. That's what he is. That's what occurred in the stable over 2,000 years ago. The light came. The light turned on to never be put out again. And that's what was prophesied over 300 times. All fulfilled, and that's um, the, the light of the world had come. And we can hold on to that hope. We can hold on to that foundation in our life when the circumstances want to dictate otherwise. The circumstances want you to focus on the darkness. They, they want you to focus on them, the circumstances. Multiple times in the last few days, I've read, we need to stop thinking, of, we need to, <coughs> essentially, we need, to, we need to stop telling God about our circumstances, and we need to start telling our circumstances about our God. We need to think about this foundation, this stable influence that we have, and we need to live our lives based on that. No more doom and gloom. We live around bad news, but we also live around great news. And we know what happens in the future because God has revealed it to us. In fact, that's a stable influence foretold. Look at Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us, remember, 750 years before Christ. Give or take 10 or 20 years. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over David's kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this, it says. Over 700 years waiting for it to be fulfilled in God's time, but it was. Jesus came on a cool night in a very crowded town in the midst of a very full and busy city, in a very humble place, in a manger, no great fanfare, no glorious music, save for what the shepherds got to experience with the angels singing, no camel entourage, a child in a feed trough. But it was really happening. The prophecy was being fulfilled. Ah, could, could you imagine being Mary? Now, I know she had to probably endure lots of yucky stuff, accusations and all of that leading up to the, and probably even after that, people probably still didn't believe her. Wait a minute, women don't get pregnant without having sex. How could you claim to be a virgin? But she was. Now we know that, that Jesus' return is going to happen with a loud trump, Right? Could you imagine the feeling that you would have if your 
sitting on your deck drinking tea, you're driving a school bus, you're seeing a patient at the hospital, you're whatever it is that you do, you're driving a tractor, you're, you're cultivating beans, and all of a sudden you hear this loud trumpet noise. I'm not sure you would be thinking amen. I'm thinking I would be scared out of my mind if I'm still standing on the planet after that trump, if I'm not gone already. Right? That would be the experience of prophecy. That's what they're experiencing. I mean, Mary is treasuring these things in her heart, it says, because, I mean, she is just, um, I'm blown away. This is... If, it, if, if, if he is what the angel said he is, this is God right here. Right here. And she was told in, in Luke 1, 32 through 33 that he would be great and would be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. That is a stable influence. Because it happened. We know what happened. History has proved the angel's words to be correct. And then, and, and then it goes on. He will be great. I already read that. Prophets said Jesus would become. They described where. They described how. They told of the significance. They, they, they told why he needed to come. And what it was going to look like while he was here. They also told of how the end of his earthly life would occur, with pretty graphic detail, I might add. Again, not from their own guessing, right? There's no way they could just guess and say, well, this is what we think is going to happen, and then have it happen exactly the way they said it was. It was God-inspired, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets Though humans spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, 2 Timothy 1.21 is important for us to remember. Now, turn, turn many pages to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. In fact, his very name, Jesus, was a common name. I mean, we think Jesus, I mean, you hear of somebody whose name is Jesus and you go, what? Right? I mean, it's not a common name in our day. In their day, it was. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. There's the place. He was, to continue in Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Jesus' life fulfills this, doesn't it? I mean, the religious leaders opposed him at every turn, and they, in the end, of course, they plot to kill him. He was ridiculed. He was spit on. There were lots of rumors. Verse 4, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. 
But he was, verse 5, pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The punishment that brought peace. Wow. It's by the name of Jesus that we are saved, the Bible says. His punishment, his pain, and by his wounds, we are healed. It happened in history. And it was foretold a thousand years before approximately it happened. Verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter. I guarantee you if I'm being falsely accused, I'm likely to say something. Not Jesus. And as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. I mean, we reflect on these prophecies at Easter especially, but, but not just at Easter. It's a stable influence. It's a stable influence. We can trust it because it has been proven faithful over thousands of years. I mean, in our moment of pain and anxiety and, and, and lack of hope, we can look to the Word of God and the salvation that we can have in Jesus Christ and know that it's stable. God will never steer us wrong. God will never, ever one day go, oh, well, shoot, I wish I'd have done that differently. We don't have to lose hope. We don't have to live in darkness and gloom. We don't have to live to rely solely on our own wisdom and our own know-how. Praise the Lord. In fact, we should intentionally live relying more on the truth of God's word than on our own. But our selfishness wars against that every day. On, on our own, we fall into darkness. God is still working. It's a stable influence. Dr. George Sweeting, former president and chancellor of Moody Bible, once estimated that more than a fourth of the Bible is predictive prophecy. Both the Old and New Testaments are full of promises about the return of Jesus Christ. Over 1,800 references appear in the Old Testament, and 17 Old Testament books give prominence to the theme. Of the, of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are more than 300 references to the Lord's return. One out of every 30 verses. 23 of the, New, of the 27 New Testament books refer to this great event. For every prophecy on the first coming of Christ, there are eight on Christ's second coming. He's coming again. We can go to the bank with that. He's coming again. We can count on his return. What a stable influence that is. And we better not. I was going to use a double negative. We better be ready at all times. It could be tomorrow. Uh, I read like 75% of of people believe, of this one study, believe that the second coming is going to occur in their lifetime. Maybe it does. Either way, as a Christ follower, we will be with him, whether we take our last breath or the trumpet sounds and we are snatched up. 
But are you ready today? Because you need to be. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the incredible, incredible, stable influence that we have. And Father, I pray that over these next uh, four weeks that you would challenge us and encourage us in our faith and in our journey, uh, our walk with you. Uh, Father, thank you that, uh, that we have friends who can, who can help uh, challenge us and guide us. Uh, Father, thank you that, uh, that we have family who, uh, who support us. And Father, I pray that you would just continue to draw our hearts to you, Lord, that this Christmas season, as maybe we sit here and we think about all the things that we have to do, but God, I pray that you would help us to not focus on the activity. Help us to focus on you, our creator, our savior. May this Christmas season be exceptionally worshipful. Maybe this would be the Christmas season where we celebrate your birth for the first time because just in the recent months or days we've put our faith and trust in you as our Savior. Thank you for being a stable influence in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? Now, man, I need your help. Ladies, you'll do the echoes. Men, you're going to follow me, right? <laughs>